me. I, uh, I was, our family, another family, traveled for several years around the country called the Heritage Strings. How many of you have ever heard of the Heritage Strings before? Yeah, okay, fair amount of you. Uh, we have some tapes if you like to listen to those uh, still from those days. Anyway, um, that was still big. You would sell tapes and CDs at the table. CDs were just, you know, coming in and tapes were still quite popular with a lot of people. So it's hard to, hard to believe those days are over big time. Brother Himes remembers the records and before that. So anyway, but uh, uh, I, I remember I played the second violin part. I was always second fiddle. And there were two on a part. There was t our family made a quartet, other family made a quartet, so there's an octet. And I, I liked that middle part that Miss Yeager played because that was the melody part. You know, we actually got a real part for a few minutes, a few seconds there. But the, we were always ding, 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 ding every t other time. I had a very embarrassing moment personally when I was family years ago. Uh, the Heritage Strings were asked to play at WVCY for their share -thon. This is back eons ago. And I was, um, and we were going to do two songs for the share -thon. One was Nearer Still Nearer. The other one was Brother and We Met to Worship. And so I had gotten... <clears throat> my signals crossed on which one was which. And fortunately, we were doing, the first one we were doing was Near Still Near. I thought it was Brother We Met to Worship. And if you've heard the arrangement of Brother We Met to Worship, it starts, dun, 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 you know, real big. And so I was, I was geared up. I was ready to go. Everybody else is ready to start Near Still Near. And this is on television live. And uh, so we're standing there and I introduced the Heritage Strings, you know, and all of a sudden, boom, blah, blah, you know, I, and the problem is you can't hide anything because that happened, and then your face is just creepy. You know it's getting totally red, and it was, it's just, you know, the Lord just, just has ways of humbling us. So anytime you get into a humbling moment like that, just think, just after you get past the agony of it, just thank the Lord. He just puts you in your place. Um, the all-time worst humbling moment is I thought it was big stuff, concert master of a string orchestra at MISO. This was 120, 30 kids. I was first chair. I was, I was going to be first chair. They had three different orchestras that combined at once. I was going to be first chair in the Performing Arts Center. I mean, that's like, I mean, the 1800-seat hall, first chair, sixth grader. Man, this is, this is great. By the way, I did play the violin, in case some of you don't know that. I still can. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll surprise you. But uh, so anyway, uh, what happened was, is here I was up there, and the conductor said, jump up on the platform, or jump, jump, jump up here and tune the orchestra. So jump, right? You're supposed to do what they say. So I had my violin and I was going to tune and I, I jumped. Well, I didn't clear the, um, the platform. Uh, the, and so I, my foot hit that. I just remember the agonizing moment of falling. I had my violin out this side, my bow like this. I was on my stomach just <laughs> like that. And I stand up to tune the orchestra. And uh, my sister Anna Grace was in the second violins. And that was one of the few moments she was actually behind me in something instrumentally. And that was a, uh, I was ahead of her for a while, and the curve just kind of, uh, but anyway, so I was, I was standing there, just right as could be, and anyway, that was one of those moments where I look back and I thank God for it, actually, because it was just, God just has ways of saying, no, you're not as big stuff, hot shot as you think you are, and uh, so, and by the way, if God gives you something, like in my case, I periodically stutter, and there's been times I wish I didn't, but then I thank the Lord that I do. Uh, because those moments are moments where you realize you're weak and he's, he's the one that needs to enable you. So let's take our, almost said hymnals, please take your Bibles and turn to number, to Saul. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is a rough start this morning. I think, uh, well, God gives grace to the humble, so here we go. All right. Psalm 145, please. This is a passage of scripture I've shared in certain settings before. It's been a huge help to me and the Lord put it on my heart strongly for today. As we think about Today is, is Halloween, 
And uh, you probably don't know that, but maybe some of you do, I don't know. It's October 31st, in case you didn't know. But it is Halloween today, and uh, Satan, this is a day when you can just kind of get a bigger glimpse of just how awful he is, as you see people, and it's just so tragic to see so much of our society focusing on, on him today, and things that surround uh, satanic type thinking and life. But I was thinking about what Satan loves to do the most is to get people like you, your age, to think very short-sighted about their lives. I appreciate uh, Pastor Zempel, his emphasis about generational, um, about passing on from one generation to, another, to, no, to, to the next, and the idea of taking what you have received, passing it on, but not just passing it on to the next, but with the purpose of 2 Timothy 2, to see the generation after that touch. You need to be able to articulate what you have received so well that the generation you teach is able to train the next one also. That's biblical. And so many times when you're in a school setting like this, young person, high school, college, there can be a real tendency to have a very short-sighted view of just kind of like step by step by step by step, and you're not thinking big picture, ultimately long-term, of what the ramifications of the decisions that you're making now are. For instance, I was thinking about the heritage I have. The whole idea of leaving a legacy for the generations to come, I was thinking about the heritage I have. I have a heritage now that goes back several generations of godly parents, grandparents, great-grandmother especially. And I was thinking about each one of them and the key decisions that they made when they were your age or a little bit older or a little bit younger that made a drastic impact on what they ended up leaving behind for us. For instance, my great-grandmother, pastor's grandmother, the one you hear much about, the prayer warrior. Did you know that when she was a younger lady, she actually, she and my great-grandfather had quite a few but they, they had a lot of things going for them. They, they owned quite a bit of land in Miami. They were fairly well off. They were in more of the high society. And God allowed the Florida land bust to cause them to lose, I mean, just a lot of, of money. And they lost the land. It was the property was down to nothing. And they lost everything that they had, basically. It was gone. Okay, all the wealth of potential they had was gone. And at that moment, God really began to get a hold of her life and other factors, too. I don't necessarily have all the facts exactly lined up. But the point is, God began to really deepen her spiritual walk. And then she began to choose that, she was, that following Jesus was everything. Then God allowed a hurricane to come and lost her home. I mean, just, just one thing after the other was significant, very, very drastic. And so instead of her getting bitter at God and, and making a decision to, to dismiss the trial, she embraced the trial. And she, and she took it as her own and ultimately became a very uh, deep lady spiritually. And her impact on a, still to this day on my generation, I even believe my children and I trust beyond, is still very real. Now, in the middle of that, in her growth and so on, then she's raising her, her children. Well, one, well, two you know very well, but um, one, especially uh, just a memory of him, and that would be my grandfather, Papa, we call him. Pop, Papa Van Gelderen. All right, he was a, a young man who, I don't remember exactly how old he was when God really got a hold of his heart about doing right, but he was in the Southern Baptists. And the Southern Baptists back in that time, even in the, the 40s it would have been, uh, the 40s were pretty loose when it came to, to things. Now to the, today wouldn't seem that big of a deal, but today they still do similar things. Like they'll have camp, okay, for the young people and it's beach camp. Doesn't make sense to me, but they do it. You can just imagine the, the but they still do it today. Today is so much worse. But going to the beach in Miami in a public beach setting was normal for Southern Baptist kids to do. In fact, if you didn't do it, you were really odd. Well, it got to the point where God was working in my grandfather's life as a young man, and he realized, 
I can't do this anymore. This isn't right. And he stopped doing that. He took a stand. He stopped as a young man doing things like going to the movie theater. And at the same time, God's got his hand all over him, and God was calling him to preach. And there's a, there must be a hereditary stuttering thing that's kind of come down through the line, and I got the bug a little bit. But my grandfather had it very, very bad. And he could barely get anything out. He just stuttered terribly. And I won't give the whole story. You think you know it. But God used my grandmother's surrender to God, wanting her son to be used. And she was praying, and God allowed three men, three weeks in a row at a Bible conference, to preach on Jonah, just miraculously. And my grandfather knew he was called. If you have not heard, heard that story, I trust Pastor will give that again for you sometime. But that's a powerful story of God being all over my grandfather's life. Well, the reason that's significant is my grandfather, he surrendered to God. He went to school. He yielded to God as a young man, pulled out of the Southern Baptist Convention, which you heard about, and you will hear more about, I believe, this coming Sunday night. And just some of the, uh, the stories that are involved there of his surrender as a young man and his, his, basically his passion was, I'm going to please God no matter what. I think of the legacy left behind. I can't, I can't imagine how different life would be if he hadn't made those decisions as a young man to please the Lord, number one. Then I think of my dad when he was in high school. He struggled a little bit, junior high, and, and then in high school, God really got a hold of his heart. He was at the garden tomb, and Dr. Nelson was preaching on the resurrection, and God grabbed a hold of his heart, and he fully surrendered his life. And the next Sunday, he came forward and um, threw his arms to my grandfather, just around my grandfather, and said, I'm surrendering to the... I'm surrendering to God. I'm fully giving myself to, to the Lord. Surrender to God. And at that point, he was not the same. Did you know that my dad was in the public school? Pastor was in the public school, and he led Bible studies. And, and his final, I think it was his final year of high school, their youth group, because of what God did in the public school, a, a really a, an awakening uh, where young people uh, saw, because of the, the dynamic testimony of the believers in that school, I think the youth group went from like 40 or 50 to 150. And it was almost all reached through the public school. Pastor didn't tell you a lot of those stories, probably, uh, but it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, Pastor had such a testimony that he was the leader of the pet band, and uh, you know they, he was leading. At one time, they wanted to throw one on him because they knew everybody knew who, who he was, and the, the gym was packed at a game, and and they pulled, uh, unbeknownst to him, behind the scenes, they had had pulled out the um, the rock song "Son of a Preacher Man." And uh, so the group said, and he's ready to lead him in some Sousa something or whatever, and he leads it, and all of a sudden the thing off, you know, the band takes off on a different song. <laughs> and he said the gym, the entire gym went nuts. Uh, why? Why did they care? Because they knew who the leader was. Does that make sense? So his testimony was strong. Well, I'm thankful for that because I saw his passion when I was a young man, and of course I saw how he responded. Uh, I was born right, at, right after the, the brain tumor surgery of my brother, uh, but I saw it as a boy and even in the my elementary and then high school years, how pastor responded to a very difficult trial in our family and, 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 uh, and just the way he allowed, he embraced it and praised the Lord and allowed God to work. And I, I stand here today having so much growth needed in my own life, but I realize, wow, the decisions that my dad made all the way through as a young man have made all the difference to the reason why you guys are here today, uh, here at BCM. We wouldn't have a school if it weren't for the, the fact that he got an eternal focus. Young, young, high school college. It was a big deal to him. He didn't look short-sighted at pleasing himself and doing what he wanted to do and, and having these goals and ambitions in mind. Most of you I'm, are, are even, are, I believe, are called to the ministry. Some of you still may be wrestling through that right now in your life. And there's even some times that I've noticed guys that I've grown up with had sensed the call, but then they thought, well, maybe not, because there was a surrender moment. And it's easy to start thinking about what are the ambitions, what are the things that we're trying to follow and do, and we actually miss out. We're not even thinking about what 
ultimately am I going to be leaving behind for the generation to come? I think about my um, uh, just family members that I know and other people that are not related to me that have been a blessing to, up the, to their family members. But, you know, even fi fi financially, isn't it a blessing when God uh, has his hand on somebody, even, just even financially, and, and helps them out and blesses them, but they're very careful, they give, they save, and they're able to even be a blessing to their family down the road. That, that's a good thing. But we're not talking about leaving a financial legacy. We're talking about a spiritual one. Psalm 145 is very powerful as we look at this, and I want to just, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to quickly go through this, but I believe there's four essential keys here that we find in this chapter that are absolutely essential for leaving a legacy, a spiritual legacy that will have an eternal impact. Psalm 145 verse 1 says, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power. To make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, and to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry, and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Now, the first thing I want you to see in this passage of Scripture that is an essential key for ultimately being able to pass on a spiritual legacy that will last is we need to live, first of all, overwhelmed by God's goodness. Now, this is not a platitude. This is not a cute phrase. If you don't walk with God, you will not live overwhelmed by the goodness of God because life will catch up with you and you will find yourself questioning God repeatedly if you're not living in that relationship. The key verse for these first 10 verses is really where I'm taking this first point from. The key verse is verse 7. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. And this is speaking of verse 4. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. The idea of abundantly utter is literally the idea of a, like a fountain that's just um, pouring forth. What's the memory of thy great goodness? Well, that's remembering God's abundant goodness in our lives. Shall sing of thy righteousness literally gives the idea of give a ringing cry of joy. So really our lives being characterized, something we pass on to the generations to follow, and that is this. It's a life that is literally just overflowing with all that God has done, and, we, it's just, and we're not ashamed to speak boldly about it. It's a ringing cry of joy. It's, it's an unashamed, unabashed, just, just a constant pouring forth of the goodness of God. Now let me say this as we look at the first few verses of this chapter is that a life overflowing with God's goodness is caught. It's not something you just say or teach. A lot of people say, well, if I just talk about how good God is or whatever, well, we are supposed to speak of it. But it's something literally that is just seen as a reality. You know, when I'm around people I know it's real, it's just, it, it is such a help. 
is such a blessing. And you know this, verse um, 1 says, I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee. Now, every day. Is it possible to bless God every day if you're not walking with him every day? Now, in the last month and a half, I have had a variety of things with just, I mean, back in the middle of August, I was not expecting what was going to happen to happen. But God opened the door uh, for pastor to be able to move to a different place, which was going to really be a blessing for my grandmother. It really has been. And so that, that was, and then, and we had been praying about moving, but didn't know if God was going to open that door. And then, anyway, I ended up, um, the Lord has given me the ability to be in pastor's home, uh, former home, now it's mine. But uh, anyway, so the point is, I did not expect all that would happen in the last month and a half, plus having my daughter go through what she's going through. You know, it was kind of a challenge, you know, this morning, just seeing her. She's doing better now. But uh, this morning, I had to literally get her out of bed. She was, hurt, hurt, she was hurting so bad. And that's hard as a parent to say that. It really is. Um, and I don't want to over-exaggerate how bad it is. But, you know, she's so stiff and in pain. She said, Daddy, can you help me get out of bed? You know, that's not, supposed to, that's not normal. And so, you know, as a parent, we're just, you know, we're just, life's kind of been an upheaval for the last month. And I, I'm going to tell you, a few weeks ago, I was literally internally, even though I was happy with the transition and so on, there's sometimes we like life comfortable, right? Just kind of the way it is. We're just fine with where we're at. Everything's good. And all of a sudden, and even though it's a, a good thing and it's a faith step, you kind of just get a little bit bogged down, just overwhelmed with all the things that are coming at you. My wife and I, and I, I, I referenced this in church the other night, but Jill and I, um, I forget what day it was, a couple weeks ago, we, we both said to each other after I did family devotions, and I said the verse, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God. And what God did in, in, in my heart at that moment was profound. It was a simple verse. But now every moment, every day, I'm looking to the Lord, and, and everything that comes my way so far, except for I think one time, I failed on this. My wife and I both looked at each other when things just happened. It's like, oh, wow. And we said, and everything give thanks. And we've been able to really, I'm telling you, it's been a blessing. We're, we're worn out. You know, it's not all negative, but, you know, life just, it's a challenge. You're a parent of seven kids trying to get settled into a place and got some things that we're working on there. And the Lord just has helped us to, to praise him. And you just begin, when God is moving in, in your heart, but you can't do that unless you take time with him. You can't get that spiritual perspective. And so every day, and then ultimately it says, I will extol thy name forever, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Obviously, we know for eternity we will. But forever and ever starts right now. And it should be every day. All right? And if you're the kind of person that gripes and complains, you're passing on something very bad to the next generation. And parents do it all the time. Whenever I've complained or had an attitude, my kids can read it and sense it so quickly. And it does not, nothing but hurt them terribly. And it may not be an attitude towards something going on in their lives or in school or something. It may be an attitude just about life in general. And it really is, it's a horrible thing for the next generation, our children or those around us or even among each other here in school for that ever to be that way. There should always be praise, even in the midst of impossibility. Now, it's purposeful praise. You notice here, David is taking time to purposely praise the Lord. Great is the Lord, verse 3. Greatly to be praised. He says, I will speak, verse 5, of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. All right, we know that David faced incredibly difficult times. But he was a man that he, he would pour out his heart to God. He'd pour out his troubles. But you always find the Psalms pointing back to praise, back to the Lord. Now, uh, let me ask you this simple question. Is your life marked with praise? In other words, if you were right now faced today with something, maybe even correction. What was your response? Praise? 
a reaction. You know, if some dean or leader in the school or another fellow student comes up to you and says, I'm concerned about where you're at, you know, this true sign of where you're at spiritually is how you respond to that. If you genuinely thank the Lord for the fact that they care enough about you to show concern, then that's a sign that your heart's, that, that, even if you have some blind spots, it's in the right place. But if you are reacting and bristling and saying, you know, don't, then it shows that you are in, you're, you're in position. And here's, and here's my point. You right now react that way. You've got to realize that you're setting the stage for leaving a, a very bad legacy, the wrong kind of, of, of a, uh, a future for those who will follow behind you. Now, also we find here that a, a life overflowing with God's goodness will give the next generation a right view of God. Verses 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. You know, over the last few years, the Lord has allowed, probably because I lived in Milwaukee, but he allowed my family to have some interesting trials. Some, most of you heard some of the stories, fans stolen out of the driveway, window bastion in the back, you know, and our room turned upside down the day we're supposed to go, or the day before, the Sunday night, right before we were going to go for a little period of time down to Missouri for vacation. and Just some really random things have happened, but in each one of those cases, God has always shown his hand just abundantly good to us. And in, in, in the case of our van being stolen, the Lord graciously allowed us to have a family devotions beforehand, which set us up for Job chapter 1 is what God gave us right before the van was taken. Put the kids to bed, van's gone. <laughs> and uh, guess what we're saying? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. It was perfect. I mean, God was so good. And so my kids, in these key moments, God has been gracious to my wife and I to help us to respond in, in the right way. And we talk to them all the time about the fact that God is good. You can trust him. And when you give to his work and you give of your life, your, your life, you surrender to him. And when you give of, of your wealth to his cause, you can always trust him, period. You know he's going to take care of you. And I'm not saying we've been perfect parents, but that's something we've wanted to emphasize. Well, just the other day, I had one of my children come to me, and I don't even know how he had this $20 bill, but he did. And I, it was legitimate. I, I, I just couldn't remember what it was from. And uh, I, said, I said to him, I said, I said he, he came to me, he said, and this is not one I would have expected. Okay, well, I'll just tell you who it was. Caleb. Okay, Stephen, you know, he's all about... Uh, he'll, he'll give the whole world in the offering plate. He's caught that one. But uh, K Caleb surprised me. He came up to me and said, Daddy, he said, can I give this in the church offering? I said, really? I said, uh, why do you feel burdened to do that? You know, I don't want to stop him, but I also want to make sure he's... He said, oh, the Lord just told me I need to give all this. I said, okay. You really feel God's in it? I, he said, yes. I said, well, I'm not stopping you. So it was really sweet. He said, yeah, I filled out an offering envelope. I put $10 for general fund, $5 for mission, $5 for the building fund. I said, that's good, son. You're even, uh, you're even doing it right that way. But the point is this. What encouraged me as, as a parent was, his view of God was, hey, if I give this, I can trust God. Now, of course, he doesn't have to take care of himself at this point. But there was, there was something that had, God had been gracious to pass on to him that giving was a really good thing. All right, and if you notice here, the right view of God that's given here is the Lord is gracious. He gives us what we don't deserve. He's full of compassion. He genuinely cares about your need. By the way, if you ever make statements like, God... Nobody cares about me. Have you ever said it before? You probably have. At least some, you know, when you were in a real dark moment, I don't think anybody cares. Well, maybe no human being cares, but God cares. You never can say that. But when we start making statements about, you know, and I see this happen with adults all the time. They start saying, well, nobody cares about our family, and, you know, people care. They would do this, whatever. What do you think our kids think about God? 
I'm serious. Okay, I, it, it scares me whenever I hear statements like that by people. It happens often, even to people in the ministry. Slow to anger. God's patient. He's long-suffering with us. He's a God of great mercy. He's, abund uh, he's abundantly kind. He's faithful to us. He's good to all. Guess what? He doesn't play favorites. You know, look, when you're confident in God and you're right with God, even when God allows you to go through a lot, maybe your family's the one driving the, you know, the 30-year-old vehicle around town and you guys don't seem to have much, you're in the ministry, and it just seems like you know, all these other people, even friends from college, are having more than you did. Look, God's not playing favorites. If your kids start hearing you gripe and complain about your situation, guess what's going to happen? Their view of God's going to be skewed and you're going to leave a, a terrible legacy behind you. Um, his tender mercies are over all his works. It's just as a mother cares for her young child. That's just the way he is toward us. So here's the thing. Right now, your generation, even mine, has a very wrong view of God. Do you know why it is? Because what was passed to us wasn't the spiritual view. Okay, in some cases it was. But a lot of times, young people, because of their earthly father, maybe not treating them right or, or whatever it may be, you face a challenge of really, can you really trust God? Is he really gracious? Is he really full of compassion? Now, Verse 10 is what really ultimately happens when, when we have the right perspective. Look, it says, All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. A proper view of God leads his people to love and worship him. Now, the first point I spent the most time on here, we'll just briefly touch the other ones. Being overwhelmed by God's goodness. It is not okay. Can I just say this as strongly as I can? And it's something I'm preaching to myself about. It is not okay to have a bad day. Now, you may be like, you know, you may have a, you know, probably none of you, maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. There will pro probably be some here that will face a tragedy like we heard of yesterday. But that's a really bad day, right? From a, but even how you respond in that moment, I appreciate some of you may have seen the email this morning and the text that Stephanie Wesco wrote. It was very good, very, very helpful. Just her heart, just, you know, she misses her husband terribly and that will only increase in the days ahead. But her perspective about Romans 8, 28 and so on was really good and really helpful. But the fact is, is that, um, you know, we have so much, so much smaller of issues in our lives and we get bummed out. We walk around with a long face and we're frustrated and we're upset. Look, you'll carry that right into your marriage. You'll carry that right into your future ministry if you don't, if you don't learn to walk in victory right now. Things aren't going to get solved when you get out of here. This is, this is the training ground right here. This is where you need to be changed. Then, secondly, be consumed with God's cause. Verses 11 to 13, They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. There ought to be a desire for all, all of you, to know the glory of being a part of God's cause. Speak of the glory of thy kingdom. Talk of thy power. Aren't you glad you're in the ministry? You say, well, I'm not in it. Yeah, yeah you are. Every believer's in it. But I'm talking about even if you're training for full-time ministry, that would be the greatest thing in all the world. I grew up in a home where all, I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better but to think that it was the greatest thing in the, Lord, in the world to serve God. I didn't know any better. I was, I guess I was brainwashed, okay? But I wasn't brainwashed, okay? I was in the middle of, of uh, well, I was a little boy at Market Manor, and God was really blessing there. The church was really growing and taking off. And then we came here, and it was, we were all meeting here in this music hall. This was our auditorium. At the time, it was a little bit bigger, but uh, of, of a room because it didn't have this platform the way it is and so on. But I remember this room, God was growing the church. It was packed out and uh, people were getting saved. And there were trials too. I mean, trust me, there were trials. I saw my dad get stabbed in the back constantly. Not too bad compared to most churches, but he still got it. And yet my dad never talked about that. Sure, those things hurt. But the fact is, is what was he focused on? The cause. 
We're here to reach Menominee Falls in Milwaukee and, and see lives change and missionaries be sent out and to see the world reach. And so I didn't know any better than to think that it was the greatest thing in all the world. And I can remember in fifth grade, God called me, called me to preach. I remember that night, and it's very obvious. I just remember I was before that guy was building that up, but I surrendered that night to preach. And I can remember uh, after that point, I would have conversations all the time with my dad. Uh, even in the same room now that's my bedroom <laughs> was, uh, was his. I remember walking in as, as a kid and I said, Dad, I said, uh, I said, I don't understand why everybody's not called to the ministry. And it wasn't because I was some pious kid. I just thought it was the greatest thing in all the world. I thought that's what we all should be doing. All right? So it really is important that you have a passion that God's given to you and no matter what you're going through, and see, Pastor said it, the same thing his dad said to him was, no matter what's happening, no matter how tough it is, I am determined that you will always see victory. You will always see victory, even in the trials. And we've been through a few of those rough periods of time, and yet we saw God deliver, and, him, him, and I never got bitter in my own heart ever toward the work of the Lord or toward God, because I had, a, had parents who both were passionate about the cause and, they, and their relationship with, with, with the Lord. In fact, I was at a PK camp a few years ago. That was a few years ago, I guess, a lot more than that now. I was a uh, fourth or fifth grader. And I remember, yeah, that was a few years ago. And we were there, and I, I remember that being, I have never been so depressed in my entire life. Pastor's kids in that setting in western Wisconsin were a mess. The most bitter, frustrated, angry, hate their parents kind of kids I've ever seen. It was tragic. I was glad they had the preacher's kids camp because I think a lot of good was done for it and pastor's kids were helped. Why would pastor's kids be that way? I hate to say it, but something's wrong with mom and dad. That means that they're not abundantly speaking of the goodness of God and they're not consumed with the ministry. A lot of times, men, let, let me deal with you about this first. You've got to bring your whole family into what God's doing. Your wife has got to be a partner with you in ministry, praying together with, with you, getting the burden. And then your children ought to be part of what's going on. It shouldn't be, I'm the pastor and I come home and now I'm, no, the, the whole, now there needs to be, obviously, I'm not saying there's not family life and that we, my dad was great with that. But the point is, there ought to be, it ought to be such that it's not, it just, it's just, that's just our life. We're in this together. All right? And I see, and then ladies, let me challenge you with this. I see a lot of times pastors' wives literally just, pre, 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 for the most part, check out from what their husbands are doing. And you wonder why men just, just get pulled down the way down, because they're just literally living a different life. And, that, and that's why I'm thrilled you're in the school getting the heartbeat you are. But it, it's a, it is absolutely essential that we so love God and so love His cause that the next generation doesn't think there's anything better in all the world. That's what I'm trying to say. Then thirdly, we need to be satisfied with God's provision. Verses 14 to 17, I don't have time to read, but we need to realize that God's grace is enough in our time of weakness. He says, the Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up those that be bowed down. Now, you, all of us here have weaknesses and strongholds that we're burdened about. We've been dealt with about these, but some of you struggle with anger. <coughs> you struggle with lust. You struggle with a quick tongue, fear, bitterness. I got a question for you, especially with all the preaching we've received. Do you believe that God's grace is enough to see you through those things? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Bible says, um, then in verse 15, the eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. God always provides your needs on time. You say, well, I haven't seen what I need yet. On time. God will never let you down. The Bible says in Philippians 4, that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And there's times that I really don't like the uncomfortability part that God puts me through sometimes. 
but that is actually the, the vehicle that God has to mold me into being more like him. Patience, waiting on God, trusting God. And I'm not the example of like I ought to be in that, but God's teaching me a lot. I think of um, Abraham and Isaac. Wow, right on time, right? The provision of the ram there when he was going to sacrifice his son. George Mueller, a man who many times it was the last second, but he knew God was going to come through. You know how many times we run to something else? Some of you will be tempted to turn to the credit card when you need to trust God. I'm not saying you can't use a credit card, but you ought to use it only to pay it off right away. But if you can't do that, then you might want to say, God, I think there's something I need to learn about waiting on you. Um, there's a lot that we have not learned when it comes to just our physical needs. You may have grown up in a home where you had wonderful parents, but maybe they struggled with the financial part of things. I remember Pastor Wilkerson talking about his dad. I think they moved 14 times growing up. His dad just was not good with money. and Yet God used that to really help him to be determined, to have victory in that. And he loved his father, was not done talk down on them, but he said it was a very rough situation that he put their home through. And the fact is, is that God will provide for those who put him first and have the right priorities. You can trust God. That's the point. Okay? Now, let me just say this to you. Your approach to finances will either make or cripple your ministry. It's so true. It really, guys get discouraged quickly when finances are not in order. So you got to believe that God will give you your meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, verse 16, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. God's more than enough is what that's saying. Satisfy the desire of every living thing. Literally, satisfy literally means to the point of glut. The idea of just being, being just, he just overwhelms you with how much, how, how good he is, and you're just satisfied. That, 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 that's what he does. He, he, he gives um, in ways that you can even, even imagine. People need to see that God is more than enough. Then lastly, you need to be confident in God's deliverance. Overwhelmed with God's goodness, thrilled to be a part of his cause, satisfied with his provision, and then lastly here, confident in his deliverance. You'll notice here the Bible says, verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto all that call on him. I'll tell you what, if you're struggling at all, young people, you're discouraged spiritually, just go back to James chapter 4. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Uh, weep, be, be afflicted, weep and mourn. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. And then the Bible says, uh, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up. Our God always, always lifts us up. He always draws nigh when we just simply draw nigh to him. Basically, here's the point. When Jesus shows up, everything's fine. But we don't allow him to show up because we're trying to handle the situation ourselves and we get more discouraged and depressed and frustrated with, with, with God. Notice this. Verse 19, he also will hear their cry, talking about those that fear him, and will save them, deliver them. You know what that is? Anybody who cries out, he will deliver. Now, I got, I got a point for you here, a little illustration. When my kids cry out, especially recently, my sweet little Emma has cried out, literally, sometimes even in the middle of the night, and uh, she'll say, Daddy, do you think I just lay in bed? Now, if a kid abuses the thing, okay, I, I've been there too, all right. Um, I won't name names or anything, but uh, had a few moments where it's just like, mm, ah, you know, I don't know, especially when trying to stay sane. But little Emma, here recently especially, when I hear her cry out, Daddy, Daddy, you think I just lay in bed and just say, chill? No. You know, I jump up a lot of times right away uh, when I wake up enough to know what's going on, you know. And uh, I'll jump up and I'll run in the room and I'll say, you know, so what do you need? And, and if she does cry out normally, it's, 
It's because she needs something. She's hurting or something. But the point is, um, I, I love to be able to meet the need of my children. Now, I'm not saying I've never been selfish before, but as, as a parent, when you're at all thinking spiritually at all and have just a decent heart as a parent, you're ready to help your kids when they're in trouble. Who do you cry out to when you're in trouble? Do you take your issues to someone else, like gossip? Do you sink into depression, kind of come into yourself? Some, some of you are real good at that. You just kind of just take, take it on and just get buried in it. Do you throw in the towel? I'm done. I can't handle school. Or just forget it. People quit way too often. You know why it is? We're not looking in the right place. We're not crying out. We're not looking up. We're not letting God deliver us. And then look, I need to end with this. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but the wicked will he destroy. God always does right. Those who love him, he preserves. Those who turn against him, he will destroy. Now, the reason I bring this point up is many times our current experience seems to be the opposite. Those who are doing right many times seem to be on the losing side. I see pastors cave in when it doesn't seem like things are going right. And they think, you know, they just, I ah, can't do it. Look, you know what happens when you cave in and you compromise or you get discouraged and you quit? The next generation never gets to see God show up. God doesn't show up with quitters. Now, he can deliver you. If you've quit before, God can bring, look, God is a God of, of if you cry out, he'll restore you. He'll work in your life. But you can, look, even when it seems like somebody else is being blessed, it seems like that, and they're clearly not doing the right thing. Let me just say, God will always preserve those who honor him and love him. You can trust him. See, the whole point is, who, who is God to you? How, how, how big is he? So, are you, right now, preparing to leave behind something that will last? Or is your life characterized by unbelief, discouragement, quickly depressed, frustrated, and lacking praise? It's a big deal right now where you're at. It's a very big deal. Are you fully yielded? Please bow your heads. Because of time, I'm not going to have a come forward invitation.